It's really incredible to to watch how God puts things together that we had no intention of doing. So last week, right before the service, Matt comes up to me and says, your sermon text, we just talked about that in Sunday school. We get to hear a sermon on this twice. <laughs> and I didn't know whether to apologize um, or, to, or to be encouraged. Um, but I didn't plan that. I, didn't know, I don't know what topic he's on in Sunday school, and it just happened to work out. Now, I don't know if if they knew what my sermon topic was about, but that song's all about walking, and so is this sermon. Uh, so that wasn't my plan. Uh, God just has a way of weaving these things together, and, and so many times, me and Tom after a service will say, hey, wow, look how that, look how that all kind of came together. That wasn't intentional. God weaves these things together. And I think he does that just for these little, little simple reminders that he is the invisible hand that's behind everything, guiding and leading and orchestrating and putting things together. And he sometimes lets us see how he's putting little threads together uh, to encourage us to know that he's with us, that he is walking with us, and that he's guiding us each step of the way. So what an encouragement. Uh, for our sermon today, I invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in the, in the letter of Paul to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, and we're going to read together verses 6 and 7. And I'll invite you to please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. Colossians chapter 2, let's read together verses 6 and 7. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let's ask Him to bless our time in His word. Father, we acknowledge that the Bible is the inspired and holy powerful and infallible word that you have given us. This is not just simply the thoughts of some ancient people who lived a couple of thousand years ago. This is the mind of our God. This is your voice speaking to us through your human instruments, giving them an inspired word, not just for the people of uh, the church in Colossae, but also for your people here in this room Right now, And we ask that you would open our ears to hear your voice speaking in your word and open our eyes to see what you have for us and open our hearts to receive it and then light a fire of faith in us that sends us out ready to go out and do all you've called us to do and to do it with joy and to give you the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So, my parents tell me that when I was a kid, I learned to talk before I learned to walk. Shocker, right? I grew up to talk for a living, so this makes sense. I could, I could talk, I could, say, I could say, you know, basic sentences 
before I could, before I could walk. Um, and so one of my best friends growing up when we were kids, is, uh, his name is Brandon. Now, Brandon was the opposite of me. Brandon learned how to walk before he learned how to talk. So when we would have play dates, I would sit in the middle of the floor, and I would tell Brandon what toy to go get me. And he could walk and go get it. And he couldn't, he couldn't disagree because he, he couldn't talk. So the friendship was perfect. All right? I would boss him around, and he would go and do stuff for me. Now, of course, I don't remember this, but that's what, that's what mom and dad tell me. And they would just sit and watch. Brandon, go get me this. Brandon, go get me that. And then he'd walk over and get it and bring it back. Beautiful. Becoming a Christian can feel like that sometimes. Some Christians figure out how to walk before they learn all the Christian words. And some have a grasp on Christian language before they get the hang of walking with the Lord. And I wonder when you became a Christian, which of those were you? If you grew up in a church background and were sort of familiar with church and kind of, you know, Bible language, maybe you went to youth group when you were a kid and then, you know, you, you wandered away and you got saved a little later in life maybe. And so you kind of know some of the lingo, some of the Christianese that we speak in church. But you weren't really, a, but you're kind of, you're, you're a new Christian and so now it's, you kind of got to figure out what it all means. What do these, what do these words mean that I'm saying? And how do I walk with the Lord? And other people, um, they, they have no idea what the words mean, but they're walking with the Lord. They have a dramatic conversion. Maybe they've never been to church and they get saved and they're walking with the Lord and but they haven't learned all the words and all the terminology yet. And so basic sentences in the Bible can just be totally confusing. I don't know what I'm reading, but I love Jesus, so I'm just going to keep reading, I guess. Maybe you'll click later. And I wonder which of those you were when you became a Christian. And maybe an even more, um, more important question is, are you still like one of those two? Maybe you've been saved a long time. And... You're walking with the Lord, but you just haven't really learned much about your faith. Or you have walked with the, you've, you've learned all this terminology. Maybe you like theology. Maybe you listen to sermons, not just on Sundays, but like on your own time. And you like to kind of learn. Uh, but maybe your walk with the Lord is, is difficult and slow. And maybe it feels like it's moving backwards. And there's something like it's, you got the head knowledge, but there's something going on with the life and the heart. And all of us could kind of put ourselves in this category. Are you, are you Wesley Christians or Brandon Christians? <laughs> well, this morning, I want to address this issue of learning how to walk with Jesus. And today might feel like, okay, come on, we've been Christians for forever. We, we, don't, we don't need these basics. Well, well, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We actually never get beyond the basics. We're supposed to build on the basics, but we never get beyond those. And today, I think it's, it's going to be helpful for us to take a step back and just learn some basics and revisit some things as a refresher and see what the Lord has for us today. I want to address the issue of learning how to walk with Jesus. We use this language all the time, walking with the Lord, walking with Jesus. But how many of us really understand what that means? If a total unbeliever said, you know, you, just, you keep talking about in your walk with the Lord. I hear you say my walk with the Lord, but can you explain what that means in like 
without using metaphors and can you just like very simply explain to me what walking with the Lord means? I wonder how many of us could do it. Well, in our passage this morning, Paul gives us a very brief and compact statement of how to walk with Jesus, and that's what I want us to unpack together today. So let's begin. It's two simple verses, verses 6 and 7. Look first in verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So, you have this as-so statement. As you received Him, so walk in Him. The way you received Him, that's how you ought to be walking with Him. Your walk with Jesus should match who He is. It should correspond to Him. You received Jesus, now walk accordingly. Walking with Jesus begins with understanding who it is you're walking with. You know, when I was uh, in high school, I decided as a freshman that I wanted to be a cross-country runner. Now, I liked track, and I was good at the sprints. I liked the 100-meter, the 200-meter, the 400, right? I liked these sorts of short races because I was kind of fast, but I thought, no, I want to try cross-country. And so I went to tryouts, okay? And, and when we all got, all the newcomers who were trying out got paired up with someone who was already on the team. And so I had, I got paired up with a guy, I don't, I don't even remember his name, but I got paired up with this guy and we started, we started going, you know, three and a half miles just to see how you're doing. And this guy was absolutely killing me, destroying me. I had no endurance. After about 400 meters, I was like, okay. Okay, slow down, buddy. And he just absolutely, and he kept, I mean, I held him back so terribly. And I thought, who is this guy? Okay, well, I go home. I don't know who he is. I've never met him. He's like a senior. I've never met him. So I go home, and I'm talking to mom and dad. How did, how did tryouts go? Pretty awful, I think. I don't think I'm going to make the team. They paired me up with this guy. Oh, who was it? And I said, oh, it's so-and-so. And they said, do you know who that is? I said, well, no. He said, he was the state champion last year. <laughs> I said, well, good Lord, why did they pair me up with the state champion? I'm a sprinter. <laughs> I can't keep up with him. So had I understood who I was walking with, that would have dramatically changed how I practiced with him. It would have absolutely transformed the whole experience. I didn't know he was the state champion. That made a big difference. Because had I known, I would have quit. <laughs> or I would have demanded another partner. Don't pair me up with the state champ. He's a senior, I'm a freshman. So understanding who it is you're walking with or running with is where walking with Jesus begins. Who is this one who is walking with you and that you were walking with? Who is this Jesus? Paul in our passage, calls him by two titles. Paul calls him Christ, and he calls him Lord. Verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This Jesus is Christ, and he is Lord. 
Now, these are two titles that are commonly associated in the Bible. So way back in the Gospel of Luke, in the Christmas story, the annunciation of the angels to the shepherds out in the field, Luke chapter 2, right, verses 10 and 11, it says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Savior is Christ the Lord. Or again, Luke, in the second volume of his gospel, remember Luke and Acts are volumes 1 and 2 of a single book. And in in, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says, this is a... uh, This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Christ and Lord, two titles that always go together when you're talking about Jesus. They're the two most fundamental things you can know about who Jesus is. He is Christ and he is Lord. So what do these mean? Well, Christ, in the original language of the New Testament, Greek, is Christos. And Christos is a translation of an underlying Hebrew and Aramaic idea that simply refers to an anointing. When you take oil and you rub it on someone's head to anoint them with oil. And this is reflective of, in the Old Testament, that priests and prophets and especially kings were referred to as anointed ones. When David was chosen to be king, Samuel anointed him with oil to, as part of an official confirmation of his kingship. To be anointed, to be the anointed one, means that he is the Messiah. He is king. He is God's chosen servant. He is Savior. He is Son of God. All those things in the Old Testament that the Messiah is supposed to be, that's who this Jesus is. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. He's your King. He is your Savior. He is the servant of the Lord. Think of Isaiah 53, the one who gives his life as a ransom for your sin. That's who this Jesus is. Your kingly Sovereign, suffering, Savior. Lord, what does this refer to? Well, in the ancient world, especially writing to people living under the Roman Empire, Lord meant something very, very specific. There was only one true Lord, and that was Caesar. Caesar sat upon the throne, not just of the Roman Empire... But in the minds and imaginations of the poets and prophets of old Rome, this is the one who sits enthroned over the whole world. The one who brings peace to the world. The king of all the other kings. That's what the emperor is. He's a king and he rules all the other kings and nations. He is this enthroned Lord of all things. The highest imaginable authority on earth was the emperor to the mind of Romans, of Roman citizens and people under subjection to Rome as these Colossian Christians were. 
to call Jesus Lord is to say he's the one who belongs on Caesar's throne, not that guy. And that's a very dangerous thing to say in a politically charged world where politics and religion are the same thing. No separation between the two. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying He is God's chosen emperor. He's the one who belongs on the throne of all things. He is the divine and exalted and enthroned one, the cosmic ruler. When emperors would die, if they were thought worthy by the Senate of Rome, they would confirm that He truly was divine. And they would officially exalt Him into the pantheon of the gods. And so uh, the Caesar of the time when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus, his father, his adopted father, Julius Caesar, was assassinated and they put on coins pictures of Caesar being exalted to heaven and it was the picture of a comet streaking up into the heavens. And that was on the very coins. So, that, so again, politics and religion and theology were all the same thing. It was on the money. Caesar is exalted to heaven, and that means that Augustus is literally the, the son of a god. And that, in, that also was put on the coins, Divi Filius, son of God. So when we call Jesus these things, we're thinking in cosmic terms. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, in that very famous passage in chapter 2, he says in verses 9 to 11, Therefore, because Christ suffered on the cross and died in obedience to God all the way to death, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and even under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who we're talking about. That's who Paul has in mind. This is the one you're walking with. He is God's chosen servant, the anointed one, His very own Son, who went to the cross and shed His blood to save and redeem His people from their sins. And He's the one who has been exalted as Lord of all things, the ruler at God's right hand of absolutely everything. This isn't just, you know, you running cross-country with the state champ. This is you walking with the Lord of all. The Savior, the perfect Savior of His people. He is Christ the Lord. Walking with Christ begins with understanding who you're walking with and receiving Him as He is by faith. That's what it says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. What does it mean to receive the Messiah as yours? To receive the Lord as yours? That means you bow the knee to Him and you put your trust in Him. That's where walking with Christ begins. Jesus is your Christ. He is your Lord. You own Him as your own. As you received Him, as you received Jesus, number two, so walk in Him. Now here's that old familiar language, right, of walking with the Lord. That, that old Christianese we all grew up with. Well, I'm just walking with Jesus one day at a time, Pastor. I'm just getting by. Walking with Him. What does that mean? Walking with 
him. Here it says walking in him. What's that about? Walk in him. Is he a pair of shoes? <laughs> what is he talking about? And once we understand what it means, how do I go do it? Like tomorrow morning. Or like at 3 p.m. on a random Tuesday. What does this mean? Well, in the Bible, walk is a very common biblical metaphor for live. Your walk is the way you live. Walking has to do with the direction of your life, the road you're on, and the destination you're heading towards. And walking in Christ means living with Christ because He is your way, your truth, and your life. Paul uses here four other metaphors for living your life with Jesus. Let's look at it again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Four metaphors. Rooted, built up, established, abounding. Let's look at these one at a time. Rooted. Rooted in Him. Now normally, you don't think of plants as being very mobile. It's hard to walk if your roots are in the ground. So this seems like a, Paul, you just told me to walk, but if I'm rooted, I can't move. So what are we doing here? Well, this is where Paul loves to mix his metaphors. Rooted. What's the idea of rooted? Well, we, we talk sometimes in, in English, we talk about, I'm going to put down roots. Put down some roots somewhere. I want to buy a house, start a family, and we're going to stay there for a couple of decades. Put down some roots. That's the idea here. Put down some roots in Christ. Roots, what are roots for? They, they cling they cling to the ground so the tree doesn't blow over at, a, at the slightest breeze. Roots cling to Christ for, their, for its security and for stability. And roots also receive nourishment from the earth for life, for health, for flourishing, and for fruitfulness. The image of roots tells us that we should cultivate Another gardening term. We should cultivate our relationship with Christ. Put down roots in Him. Cling to Him and draw your life from Him. The sustenance of your life from Him. And cultivate your relationship with Christ. He is your walking companion. And as you walk with Him, you should strive to get to know Him more and more. One of the best things about taking uh, maybe short-term mission trips somewhere where there's a long ride or a plane flight or something, and it's a group of people, there's you know, like maybe 10 of you, and you're going off somewhere the long way away, and half the blessing is just the bonding that takes place on the way there and on the way back. And while you're there, you, you forge relationships with people that maybe you didn't already know that well in the church, and you really can bond over these shared experiences of this mission trip or whatever. And as you're walking with Christ, we should be strengthening our bond with Him. We should be getting to know Him more and more. 
He's not going to leave you in the dust the way the cross-country guy did with me. And he's walking right there beside you. And so what we want to do is cultivate our relationship with him. Well, how in the world do you do that? Again, back to basics. Cultivate the daily habits and rhythms of prayer, scripture meditation, not just reading, but meditating on what you're reading, thinking about what you're reading, and then the habits of worship, where you actually do some worship, not just on Sundays, but you find a way to build some worship in to your own daily life. And it can be in simple ways, elaborate ways, it doesn't matter. But cultivate these habits of putting down some roots in Christ. Communication with Him. Talk to Him while you're walking. Don't walk in silence. That's what prayer's for. Talking to the Lord. And then opening up His Word and listening to Him talk to you. Right? We're Presbyterians. We don't hear voices. <laughs> if God talks to us, it better, be, it better be in the book. God's already said all He needs to say right here. Now, yeah, the Holy Spirit can take this Word and take our experience or our situation and make them connect in a unique way that makes something pop that we didn't see before and we kind of get some insights and stuff. And that's God illuminating us and showing us where to go. But as the psalm says, His Word is a light to our feet, a lamp for our path. It's His Word that illuminates where we're going. He's not giving us fresh words. You can't add a 29th, or, you know, you can't add a 28th book to the New Testament. We have a word from God. And this is where he speaks. This is his voice to us. So we talk to him in prayer. He talks back to us in scripture. And we sit and we think about what he says. And we ask ourselves some questions. No matter where we are in the Bible. What does this passage, this paragraph, this sentence, this book, whatever it is we're reading that day. What does this tell me about who God is? Question two. What does this tell me about who I am? What should I believe about God based on this passage? And then how should I live for God based on this passage? And maybe the answer won't be perfectly obvious the first time you think about it. That's fine. Just the fact that you're crunching over it in your head means you're digging into Scripture and you're trying to think about what this Word is saying to me. Put down some roots in Christ and draw your life from Him through the habits of prayer reading scripture, and worship. Second metaphor, built up. Rooted and built up. Built up, this is the image of constructing an edifice. And that's where we get the idea of being edified. That's what being built up means. Edification, edified. You're building and constructing an edifice. You should build your life around Jesus. Structure your life with Him at the center. And that looks like maybe changes in your priorities. That maybe looks like changes in your principles. That maybe looks like changes in your values. That might look like altering something in your schedule. It might be building in a certain new practice or habit. It might be getting rid of a distracting habit and filling it with extra time with the Lord. I can't be very specific here because... It's going to look different depending on your life and your family and your responsibilities, etc. But this is where it calls for you to think through, how can I structure my life more intentionally and obviously and explicitly around Christ where I can actually put Him at the, at the center, not just in theory, but like really, so if someone could watch me live 
They could see that he's a priority. That you structure your life around him. And by doing this, you edify yourself. You build yourself up in your Christian walk. In a building, you don't see the foundation or the basement, right? Just like with a plant, you don't see the roots. The roots are under the ground. The basement and foundation, that's under the ground. It's the plant that's visible. It's the building that you see. So rooted in him and built up in him means you want to dig deep and build high. Dig deep into him and build high. Grow in your daily habits and behaviors and priorities that make Jesus central. Because if you go through week after week after week and it doesn't look like you have anything to do with Jesus ever and he has nothing to do with you, it's hard to imagine that you're truly walking with him. Because if we look at your life and you're walking by yourself and we never see Jesus, are you really walking with him? And so this is just a way to check yourself and say, am I truly walking with him? Where is he in my life? Well, here's what being built up is all about. Making Jesus central so that he shows up in your daily life. Rooted, built up, established. Established. It says established in the faith. Established in the faith. This idea of being an establishment. That you are. It's the idea of being firm and unshakable. Unmovable. You're not going anywhere. You're established. You're here to stay. Jesus told a parable about building your house on the rock. Which means building your house on him. Taking what he says and putting it into practice is like a man who dug deep and laid a deep foundation and built his house upon that. And when the winds and the waves and the storms broke out against it, it didn't fall. It held up. He didn't build on sand and gravel. He built on the rock. You be established in your faith. Be established in your trust and confidence in Christ. Strengthen your faith. Do the things that increase your trust in Jesus. Find the things that help you believe his word more. They help you trust him in different situations more. That puts some security around your faith and helps it to stand firm and strong. How do we do that? Paul kind of hints at it, doesn't he? He says, established in the faith as you were taught. As you were taught. That means that somebody else has a responsibility to teach you, right? And that's where the church comes in. That's where pastors and elders and people who disciple you and this is, you're being taught the faith. You're coming to the church and you're learning what it means to walk with the Lord. You're learning about your faith. And this is something that's so lacking so often in too many Christians is they're content to just be shallow in their knowledge of the Lord, they're not interested in learning more stuff. They don't really want to grow. They're like, yeah, I believe this, but I'm not really sure why I believe it. Maybe it's what I grew up with. It's comfortable. It's convenient. And that's just how I live. And I don't worry about it. I'm not a theologian. I, doctrine stuff. I don't want to learn any of that. I don't need any of that. Just give me Jesus, and that's all I need. And that's more like the Christian who knows how to walk, but doesn't know any of the language. And they don't understand that 
if you knew more about your faith, it would make it deeper and richer and more satisfying. Just good enough isn't what we're called to. We're called to learn. We're called to want to know the Lord more deeply. And that includes learning some more information about Him and looking deeper and deeper into His Word. You know, in 2 Peter 3.18, the whole letter closes with this admonition. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We're called to grow in our knowledge, or as Paul says in Romans 12, to be renewed in our minds. To be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The greatest commandment in the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And too many of us are content to love Him with our hearts, and, and I'm sure that's sincere, and to love Him in, in the way we try to obey, but we're just not interested in loving Him with our heads. And too often that's the case. And here, we're missing out on a dimension of depth that will really increase our satisfaction in our walk with Him. There's more to Christ than you have. There's more to Christ than what I have. We will spend all of eternity trying to plumb the depths of this one who died upon the tree for you and me. And it will never get old and never get boring. There is infinite depths to His glory and perfection and beauty and power and wisdom and knowledge. There are infinite treasures to thrill your mind and blow your soul wide open to dimensions and vistas of glory and majesty you didn't know were there. All we got to do is open the book and dig in or find a, a couple of Christian books and add that into your reading repertoire. If you're not a big reader, find one Christian book that tells you a little bit more about Christ and decide, I'm going to read that. Just add a book or listen to an extra sermon. from. Uh, find a preacher that you like online and listen to an extra sermon. Build some stuff in and, and hunger to know more about Him. To love Him with your mind so that you can be established and firm in your faith when the challenges of life and skeptics and unbelievers come along and tempt you to doubt, has God really said? We have to be established if we're going to stand the temptations. Final metaphor is abounding. Abounding. Here's the idea of overflowing, of a plentiful harvest or an overflowing cup. Right In Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. It's brimming with blessing. Here, abounding Abounding in what? Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. If you're going to reap a plentiful harvest of thankfulness and gratitude and the joy that comes with being thankful, then you're going to have to sow and reap an attitude or a spirit of thanksgiving. You're going to have to, this comes back to being rooted, sowing and reaping, you're going to have to sow things in your soul Feed yourself things that are going to help you increase your thankfulness and not the opposite. We are surrounded in our society with a million things that want us to be unhappy, dissatisfied, disgruntled, upset. Look what that politician said. Look what this company just did. Get out and vote. <laughs> and that's how politics thrives. Get mad about something and go vote against it. And it just, it has to keep us restless. Society, go buy this next thing that you need or you won't be happy. Go to this next trip that you need or you won't be happy. And 
you need more stuff. You don't have enough. Go get, go get. And it just breeds discontentment and unthankfulness and ungratitude. I remember someone that my sister went to church with years ago back home. And she made this observation She's about, um, about Thanksgiving and Good Friday. She said, only in America, uh, only in America would we uh, have Black Friday followed by a day where we just gave thanks for what we already have. God, thank you for what we already have. I'm going to be there at 5 a.m. the next morning uh, to get that next thing I need. It's really strange, right? We're going to have a day of thankfulness followed by a day of complete greed and, <laughs> and consumerism. And we've got to get the thing that we need. It's a very interesting thing we do in our country. But we do it in our own lives too. And so what we need to do is to feed ourselves on the things that will cultivate a grateful, thankful heart. One that's truly satisfied and content with the blessings God has given us. And if we have opportunities to get this or go buy that, that's fine. But to be thankful and grateful, not just a little bit, but abounding in it. Walking with the Lord Jesus means being rooted and built up and established and abounding in thankfulness. These are some of the basic steps of what it means. Last point today, and this one's quick. Walking is not running. Walking is not sprinting. Walking is a slow and steady pace. You do walking one step at a time, nice and easy. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in one direction. Walking refers to your whole Christian life. Not just a little part of it where you, do, you have a quick growth spurt and then you're done. But walking with Jesus refers to the whole Christian life until you reach the very end. So don't get in a hurry. There's no need to rush. Each day, be content to take one more step. That's what a day is. It's one more step in a lifelong walk with the Lord. And you don't, you don't go 100,000 miles in one, in one day. You don't, you don't go all that in one step. And that's why in the, our tradition, we believe in what's called the ordinary means of grace, which means we just walk with the Lord one thing at a time, one step at a time, and we know that with each step, we're inching closer and closer to being fully conformed to the image of Christ. We're not trying to microwave it. We're not trying to marathon it. We're not trying to sprint and get it over real quick. But we're content as we're rooted in Him, walking with Him, established in our faith, overflowing in thanksgiving. We are content to take each step with Him and to enjoy each step of the way. A joy and a peace that only he can give and that boggles the world's mind who doesn't know him and isn't walking with him. Each day, just take one more step. One more prayer. One more passage. One more act of worship. One more act of obedience. Learn one new thing about the Lord. Give thanks for one more thing. And just take that next step with the Lord. You know, Christian, because you believe the gospel, that God's path leads to heaven. 
so you don't have to rush. Your eternal inheritance will be there when you get there. For now, just enjoy this walk of living with Jesus. And so your three points on your handout, your sermon, in, your sermon insert, the three points taken together tell you the main point this morning. As you have received him, live in him one step at a time. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us your word that lays out exactly the way we should go. I, I thank you that you have given us Christ to walk with us side by side and that he walks at our pace. We don't have to try to keep up with him. And I thank you that he seeks fellowship with us and I pray that you would cultivate our rootedness in him, that we would truly hunger and desire to grow in the things of Christ, to know him more, to be more desirous of prayer, to be more eager to open up our Bibles and think about what we're reading and meditate on what does it have to say about you and about me and how we should walk today. That we'd be more desirous to build practices and habits of worship into our lives. That we would make, our, that would make you a priority in our lives so that in different situations at work or with friends, we, we see an opportunity to obey you and we get excited because that's what we want to do. We know that we're walking with you. Pray that you would help us to love you with all of our minds, not just our hearts, as important as our heart is, but our mind as well. And that you would open up our minds to be thrilled at the things you have to teach us. Lord, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to learn our faith and why we believe it. And help us to find the joy and satisfaction and the overflow of thankfulness that comes from walking with you. Lord, help us to go from this place and think about these things, meditate on these things, talk about these things, and let today be truly one more big step forward in our walk with you. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.